This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 577 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Diana looks pretty good for 80 years old with various adventures and bizarre romances. It's Chris and Jean v. Brainiac, a fable in Gotham, the five-year mission comes to a rushed close, a snifter of death, how not to make a good first impression at the LCS, and paper problems at D.C. This is how I got my wife to read comics for Sunday, October 10th, 2021. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get our feed, other SF podcasts and blogs, or subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review somewhere. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. The last two weeks have been very heavy on our Amazon princess, Starting with Wonder Woman 80th Anniversary 100-Page Super Spectacular by Conrad, Clunan, Chung, Belair, Ganuche, Reader, Wade, Garcia-Lopez, King, Shaner, Ayala, Goodhart, Orlando, Brague, Phillips, Takara, Wilson, and Hetrick. Diana's first appearance was in All-Star Comics number 8 as a backup story in the Justice Society-based series. She would quickly join the JSA, initially as their secretary. This book celebrates the Diana of the modern era with some classic items thrown in. In Memoriam reverses the story of the recent films with Steve Trevor mourning the loss of Diana. She sacrificed herself in the recent Dark Knights event, but of course she's already back. Steve confides to Eddie Candy that he's been working on a documentary about her, which gives the writer the chance to speak breathlessly about the character. Steve and Diana broke up a few months before her death, and we learn at the end that Steve is already in a new relationship when Diana returns to the scene. Dreamers is a story of young Diana, who's getting a new young adult special. She rides a shark to Doom's doorway, protected by Nubia, and they speak of responsibilities and destinies. Fresh Catch is a story of the 1940s and features Edda Candy and the Holiday Girls. They save Diana from a magnetic trap and beat up the bad guys sans powers. Dear Diana shows the Bronze Age JLA asking her for advice to the point that she's tired of it. Should Hal settle down? How can Shiera fit in? Should Barry tell Iris the secret? What should Ollie get Dinah as a gift? How can Clark get in touch with the general? She binds herself with a lasso to figure out how to stop it and realizes she likes to help them out. Dated takes us back to the swinging 60s when Diana had no powers, was a secret agent, and ran a mod fashion shop. Lois is a customer and sets her up on a blind date with Clark. This is long before Lois knows the secret. 
Diana gets Clark to loosen up, including new threads and a visit to a discotheque. Clark asks if they could ever be a thing. She replies that she's free and, Don't you know by now, you blue-eyed, square-jawed hunk of a man? You're a cop. Better Angels features Cheetah, who agrees to end a fight temporarily to save children from rubble created during the battle. Diana gets her to do this by surrendering. Saturn Rising sees Diana, Nubia, Artemis, and Hippolyta prepare to meet the annual attack by the Saturnians. They provide options based on previous battles, but it turns out they're too late. Diana already met with them and led a rebellion there, with pacifists taking over. Immortal Mysteries sees a female archaeologist saved from an immortal being by Diana, who turns around and then saves the being from a demigod. It's all about immortality and living in the moment. Low Orbit takes us to the future, where humanity has mostly moved to the stars, while others live on orbiting space stations, all because Earth has been wiped out by climate change. Diana has become more of a myth by this point, but still shows up to save a station from disaster. Some of the anniversary books have been meh, looking at you, Aquaman, but this one was outstanding. Of course, some of these stories could have just as easily been published in... Wonder Woman, Black and Gold, number four, by Constance Scott Azaceda, Grace Romero, McLean, Smith, and Duran. Five more out-of-continuity tales of the Amazon princess. Prayer is a tale of a hippogriff living in the woods, turning evil in its old age and attacking campers. Diana saves them and allows the hippogriff to die in peace. Nicole Scott's artwork on this is gorgeous. Amazing sees kids playing Batman only to have a battle between Diana and Giganta outside their window. Diana lets the kids help out. Whatever Happened to Kathy Perkins involves Diana's co-worker at that 60s mod boutique. Turns out she's now avoiding death by cancer with black magic. Diana finds herself powerless in the store back to her mod clothes and fighting bad guys from that era. Kathy finally agrees to end the spell and leave the store so that the natural way of things can resume. Love Failed is a story involving a cult and hypnotism with some truly terrible artwork. Winged Woman takes us back to the 40s and the Wasp, women's Air Force service pilots. They fly missions that don't involve combat, testing repairs, delivering planes. Unfortunately, this one flies into a Nazi jet and a dogfight ensues, with Diana coming in on her invisible jet to even the odds. Justice League Infinity number 4 by DeMatteis, Tuck, Beavers, and Fellardi. A Diana-centric issue from the animated universe. Amazo is breaking reality on his quest for self-awareness, and that sends Diana to an alternate universe where all life has been wiped out except for Darkseid. She finds him on Apocalypse, but this is no villain. His quest for the anti-life equation brought him to Earth and a terrible battle with the League. In the end, Diana came to Apocalypse as Earth's ambassador. As they talked, an otherwise unimaginable thing happened. They fell in love. Unfortunately, Darkseid's quest for the equation proved stronger than that love. He hoped to use the equation to impose order on the universe, but it proved to only want death. Darkseid watched it take his Diana's life in front of him. Now thousands of years have passed, and Darkseid sees Diana's appearance as a way to make things right. Diana spurns him and is attacked by the equation in the form of Ares. Darkseid sacrifices himself to save her. 
During all this, the rest of the League have found their way to that universe, picking up some friends along the way. The Justice Alliance of Earth-D. Superman number 78, number 2 of 6, by Venditti, Torres, and Belair. We kick things off with Lex Luthor, the Gene Hackman variant, of course, who's looking for a job. Having no luck, he returns to a rundown apartment only to find Cal standing there. He needs help fighting Brainiac and wants to give Lex a chance to redeem himself by investigating the drone skull from the last issue. After some grousing, Lex accepts the challenge. Then Superman leaves, and Lex opens up a hidden lab, which just happens to have part of a Lex suit. Later, at the Daily Planet, Lois spurns Clark's attempt to take her out to lunch as she's too busy on the story of the century, a.k.a. Brainiac. She calls her contact at SETI and learns that a signal of unknown origin is coming in. Clark listened in on the call and is off. Backs to Lex, who has activated the skull, and hears the message. Class ultra-invasive species registered. Kryptonian. Brainiac has arrived. And so he has in a skull-shaped ship straight from the Bronze Age. He sends a message to the world basically telling them the idea that Superman is an invasive species and needs to be removed. A swarm of drones fly out, searching for the Man of Steel, who quickly arrives. A battle ensues, with Superman throwing his S-crest at the drones a la Superman 2. By the way, this is the first time this was ever used in the comics as far as I know, because it's really stupid. Unfortunately, the drones swarm him, while Brainiac threatens to excise the city for its own good. Superman surrenders to save the city, just as Lois and Lex arrive. Batman vs. Bigby, a Wolf in Gotham, book one from DC Black Label by Willingham, Level, Lyston, and Lafridge. This title kind of snuck up on us, a callback to the classic Fable series. We begin with Bruce and Dick, I guess based on context, who are tracking down a mysterious figure who's killing people. They arrive too late to find him, but they do find corpses instead, which appear to have been victims of an animal attack. Cut to an erudite group of criminals who are celebrating the retirement of one of their agents. They appear to work out of a library. Back to Bats, who checks in with Dick, Tim, and Stephanie, who are all Robins at this time. They call in the police to retrieve the bodies. Meanwhile, the criminals have brought in another librarian and proceed to torture him for info. The boss talks to his mall-slash-bodyguard, who isn't happy with how things are being handled. Batman sees the signal and sees Gordon and a woman on the police department roof. She's Molly Grace, a new transfer working on the wolf homicides. They compare notes and Batman finds it odd that a wolf could disable security cameras. Back to the criminal boss, who decides it's time for something more spectacular, a.k.a. Operation Alexandria. Bats leaves the meeting and finds Bigby Wolf. There's a fight. But before Bigby can transform, Bruce gasses him. He finds himself chained up in the Batcave. Star Trek, Year 5, Number 25 from IDW by Lanzig, Kelly, Hauser, Cornell, McCann, Easton, Nieto, California, Hernandez, Lendl, Levins, and Jones. Why so many creatives? Because this is the last issue filling out the otherwise unexplored final year of Kirk's five-year mission. Unfortunately, the book is not that much longer than a regular issue, and jamming so many writers into it creates a number of vignettes rather than a coherent story. 
The Tholian and Admiral Kirk lead a mission to rebuild a Tholian colony. After all he has experienced, Spock leaves Starfleet for Kolinar. Sulu and Chekhov, members of Admiral Kirk's staff, are in Russia and wind up helping a group of rebels. Sulu hits it off with another agent who, per the Memory Alpha site, will later bear Sulu's child. McCoy is living in a cabin in Georgia when he's offered the CMO spot on the new Enterprise. He suggests Chapel instead. Scott is happy fitting the Enterprise before he gets a visit from Uhura. She basically hits on him. Now, we won't see them together until much later in the movie series, where it basically comes out of left field. Back to Kirk and the Tholian, who sign a treaty between their groups before Kirk leaves for San Francisco. Really, after the well-written concepts of this series, the final issue seems more like a checklist than a conclusion. Edgar Allan Poe's Snifter of Death Number 1 from Ahoy Comics by Russell, Schnellberg, Moore, and Camuso. This looked intriguing in the solicitations, plus I'm a sucker for Mark Russell's work. I learned this is the third of a set of anthologies, Edgar Allan Poe's Snifter of Terror, Edgar Allan Poe's Snifter of Blood, and now A Snifter of Death. It's much more dark humor than straight horror. The monster serials A Devil's Advocate takes concepts from breakfast serials. A vampire, the Marquis de Coco, is about to be burned at the stake. He's charged with, among other things, a massacre at Le Gemme Appel Jacquet Tavern with three elves among the victims. The townsfolk are stopped by a Quaker who is rich in oats and learning. He convinces the crowd to wait until morning when sunlight will do the job for them if he's really a vampire. The Marquis remembers his love, who had to confront her father, General Post, who was keeping Frankenscherie and a brute in chains. The Quaker returns to let the vampire go. He's happy he killed undesirable carousers. The Marquis returns his kindness by chaining him to the post, biting him, and letting him burn up in the morning. The Marquis is off to his next stop, Fortress Honeycomb. Evermore, The Adventures of Edgar Allan Poe When He Was a Boy. Poe is now dead, but he remembers his childhood. Kicked off a cart in Baltimore, future home of the world's mm, ball club. He meets young Lenore. She takes him where he can learn about life, a dungeon filled with corpses. A raven picks the lock of the door, and Poe decides to become a detective, determining who killed them. Well, Lenore, you did lock him in there. He goes to a tavern and charms the ruffians with his poems. He has his first alcohol and is never happier. As with all Ahoy books, there's short text stories to round out the issue. The whole thing reminds me of an early Mad Magazine. Now, before we go, we wanted to cover the comic story of the week. Penguin Random House, PRH, is now the exclusive distributor for Marvel Comics, and it all started with this week's shipment. They say you should always try to make a good first impression, and that is the opposite of what happened here. First off, a message from DCBS, who is now forced to get their Marvel orders from Penguin Random House. We are writing to let you know that the shipment of Marvel items coming from Penguin Random House has gotten lost on its way to us. It is currently being looked for, but since we have not yet received any of our Marvel items for this week, we are unable to start processing shipments. We sincerely apologize for the delay that this is causing and appreciate your patience. Then LCSs who signed up directly with PRH started reporting in. 
Oh no, the PRH packing of Marvel Comics is bad, really bad, like really, really bad. Just normal boxes, the same size of the comics, no protection. The books in every box are damaged because it's shipped UPS with no protection. Quote, literally 70% of our books were damaged. I can only imagine how things went industry-wide. Diamond had their shipping problems, but never anything like this. We got one box filled with basically kindling, one box we'd never find acceptable from Diamond or Lunar, but in this case are reluctantly considering good enough just to have some product. And according to the website, there's a third box of some pretty major books that they haven't even bothered to ship out yet. Just a disaster. So basically, PRH sent out books in boxes not designed in any way to protect them. This is after they sold LCS as a story that they were designing new boxes for comics. PRH is used to sending out paperbacks and hardcovers, both of which provide some form of structural integrity to the box. Obviously, comics don't do that. Oh, and if an LCS chooses to report damage and get replacements... The hoops they want you to go through to report damages doesn't make it worthwhile. They essentially want forensic evidence, and you even need to tell them the the name of the person who packed your merchandise like they're going to get fired if you do turn in a damage report. Since the comic book business involves shipments every week, expect conditions to remain like this for the time being. Also, Marvel issues in mint or near mint from this past week should fetch quite a bundle. Mm. Finally, we have an article coming out on BleedingCool.com regarding DC and paper problems. Due to the ongoing global supply chain crisis and workforce issues at the printing plants, DC is pushing back a lot of their comics, in some cases by months. DC is hardly limited in this, but the article concentrated on them. While the focus is on trades and hardcovers, the monthly floppies are seeing the hit as well. Most of the delays are in terms of a week or two, but here's a few extreme examples. Suicide Squad Get Joker number 3 has slipped from the 5th of October to the 25th of January 2022. Hardware Season 1 number 2 has slipped from 21st of August to the 12th of October. Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes tabloid edition from the... 14th of December to the 15th of February. Absolute Swamp Thing by Alan Moore, Volume 3, from the 23rd of November to the 15th of March, 2022. Absolute Wonder Woman, Gods and Mortals, from the 24th of August to the 1st of March, 2022. DC Poster Portfolio, Jim Lee, Volume 2, from the 21st of December to the 29th of March, 2022. Of course, some of these printing delays could be hiding delays in completing the writing and artwork. But a lot of people are going to be disappointed under the Christmas tree. I'm thinking. Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe by your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.